What is the worst torture that can ever be inflicted on another human being? What is the most psychologically abusive thing you can ever do to somebody? Was I the only one that had that question come up in meditation on the readings this morning? Am I that weird? Yeah, I think you guys are used to it by now. You never know what you're going to get. But according to psychologists, it's not waterboarding. It's not physical abuse or starvation. There's something far worse. Solitary confinement. The most destructive thing they found that could happen to a human person for an elongated amount of time is to be completely alone. Now, I was listening the other day to Joe Rogan, um, who's a comedian stand-up. He used to be Catholic, so we're praying for his salvation. So I'm trying to find hints of the gospel in him. But he said something I thought was really interesting. He said, no one's honest anymore. No one's honest about how much we need other people. And that's why characters that we adore now in, in movies, they're the ones that don't need other people. The people who just like walk away from it all and say, and we look at them and say, wow, you know, what a rebel. It's like, but in real life, we need people so bad that the worst thing that they, someone can do to a prisoner is put them in solitary confinement. Think about that. You're in a cement box filled with rapists and murderers, and the worst thing that they can do to you is leave you alone. That's how much we need people. It's like God said from the very beginning when he created us. It is not good for man to be alone. So what I want to talk about today is what the incarnation of God actually offers us existentially in our day-to-day life. How does it change our experience of life in this world and of God? And to answer that question, we have to understand the fundamental dilemma that we face as human beings, the essential problem that we have in our human nature. We are, in our very core, relational beings. We are made for communion with other people, to be with others. means to be seen, to be known, and to be loved to the very core of my being. That's what every human being is longing for. Like we all say we want happiness, but everybody knows that what really gives you happiness in the end is love. And love is the experience of this other person knowing me, sharing my being. But what philosophers have come to see, the more they think about it, is in the depths of our being, there's something that's incommunicable. That there's parts of myself that no matter what, I cannot share with even the person I most love. They cannot understand who I am or what I am going through in the deepest parts of myself. It's incommunicable. And they say that that's why there's an element of human life that is hellish and inescapable loneliness and insufferable isolation in the core of my being where nobody else can reach us. Tennessee Williams, the playwright, he once said, we are all sentenced to solitary confinement inside our own skins for life. There's a part of me, no matter how much time I talk with someone, no matter how much time I spend with them, I share myself, no matter how much sex I might have, no matter what I do, there's a part of me that can never be shared completely. There's a part that remains untouched, unseen, and therefore unloved. So that's our dilemma 
as humans. We're created for absolute communion, and yet we cannot find that other person with whom we can share ourselves absolutely. It's like you get pieces, you get fragments, you get beautiful moments, but never the absolute. And love longs for the absolute. And if any of you see the movie Avatar? Robert? One person. Okay, good. One person. Avatar. This is a big movie. You guys haven't seen it? Oh, I'd be okay. You've seen it. All right. So how do they say I love you in that movie? What is it? I see you. Right? Then that was actually taken from an African tribe. Sabubona means I see you. And in this tribe, um, what would happen is when they see someone coming their way, like we would just say, hello, how are you doing? They would say Sabubona, which means I see you. And the other person responds, Sikona, which means I am here. Or when you saw me, you brought me into existence. Or before you saw me, I didn't even exist. That's the literal translation of those words, which is amazing to think about it. But if you consider like you've ever been at a party and you're standing there by yourself, like in the midst of a sea of faces and everyone's talking, doing their thing, and you're just standing there awkwardly, maybe that's more common for me than other people, but you know, (laughs) the moment you lock eyes with someone on the other side of the room and all of a sudden they see you and you start a dialogue, you get that sense like before I had no place here. And now I belong because I'm in communion with this other person. And that's how it is in our life. It's the eyes of other people looking to us and recognizing us that actually enables us to experience our life, our being. It comes alive. So in the deepest part of our being, we're always crying out to be seen. And that's why solitary confinement, especially in our own flesh, can feel so torturous because it's so unnatural to our state of what God created us to be alone. And we'll do anything we can to escape that solitude. So a lot of the sins that, if you think about it, we struggle with, a lot of the sufferings that we have in our life is often a response to that feeling of isolation and aloneness. It's like when when I'm tempted to break my moral compass, to do things that I don't want to do, Oftentimes, it's because I want to fit into the crowd. I want to be a part of my clan. And to go my own way, to be faithful to my my moral compass, at times is going to set me apart from other people. That's one of the major reasons that people will do things that they don't feel comfortable with. I don't want to feel alone, like I'm the only one. That's why sex is so addicting, whether it's to a computer screen or to another human being. It's like for one moment, I can feel connected to somebody else. And you wonder why social media is so addicting to us, having that phone there. It's like every moment I can, if I start to sit in my own silence for too long, start to get really irritable, get scared, I start actually thinking to the thoughts of my own head. We don't want to do that, so we pull out our phone, we'll start just going through Facebook, watching news, listening to music. But a lot of these things can actually be escapes from the solitude of our own heart that we don't want to think about. That's why they say, if the devil can't make it bad, he'll make you busy. Your thoughts always going outside of yourself, so you never have time to enter into your own heart. So the question, what does the incarnation of Christ 
really offer us? How does God's coming into this world change our experience of existence? Because it's not as if he changed all the political systems. It's not as if all the poor suddenly went away. There's no suffering. There's no death or illness. All of that still remains. So what did Jesus Christ existentially offer us that we can encounter right now in our lives in this Advent? I think one really important answer is salvation from our solitary confinement inside our own flesh. Jesus Christ is the one who descends in order to be with us. Not only 2,000 years ago in history, not just in every mass, not just to remain in a tabernacle, but he alone is the one through his spirit and through his Holy Eucharist can actually break the barrier of our own flesh and enter into the very depths of our soul and of our hearts. He alone is the one whose love is stronger than death that can find me inside the solitary confinement of my own being and set me free by his presence. As one Catholic mystic put it, when they were asked, who are you? said, the deepest part of me is another. The deepest part of me is another. That's that experience when the deepest part of me is shared with another. Nothing in me is alone. Nothing in me is unseen, untouched, and unloved. Even my deepest, darkest secrets, my deepest, most shameful sins are shared with another who comes to dwell within me. And when we experience that, when we truly know Jesus Christ in the deepest part of our being, no matter what we go through in this world, whether it be political problems or physical problems or relational problems, the one thing I'll never have to experience again in my life is solitude. Because now Jesus Christ is the deepest part of me, relationally. There was this bishop, Cardinal Van Tuan, who was a bishop when this happened, spent 13 years in a communist re-education camp in South Vietnam when the Viet- Northern Vietnam Vietnamese came, came down. He was put into a re-education camp for 13 years. Nine years of that time was in solitary confinement. Nine years of no communicating with anybody. And he said that his prayer became so purified that he got to the point where he would just lay on the cement ground in his cell for days at a time. And all he could say was, Jesus, Francis is here. And he'd hear Christ whispering right back to him in the depths of his heart. Francis, Jesus is here. And he said the greatest grace that he got when he was in that prison for nine years was he never felt one time alone. He never felt in solitude because Christ was there with him at every moment. So that's the goal of Advent and Christmas, to experience Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming not only to remember his coming in the world, but dwelling within me here and now. And there's a few ways to help facilitate that. That doesn't just happen from a realization. You have to seek it. And that's why Advent means ad venire, 
towards the coming. Like you have to actually prepare yourself for the coming of Christ so you can recognize and receive it when it comes. So I just want to give four resolutions. Just pick one for these remaining weeks of Advent. Number one, read the daily readings of Mass. Take about 10, 15 minutes just to slowly meditate on the daily readings online, on a Magnificat, the Word Among Us books in the back you can pick up. Number two, you come visit the chapel every single day. Even if it's locked, you kneel outside. But to come here, the more we look at Jesus Christ dwelling in the tabernacle, the more we'll experience him when we actually receive him in the Holy Eucharist. The third, try to go to daily Mass, at least maybe once or twice during Advent time, not just on Sundays. Again, experiencing Christ coming. And fourth is confession. To make a really good confession this time, because the lie that our sins always carry with it is that God can't love me there. There's certain places in my, in my life where I'm unlovable, I'm unredeemable, where God's mercy cannot reach me. That's what our sins tell us. So by going into confession and sharing my heart, sharing my sins with Christ, that's one of the most intimate places we can experience his presence coming to save us. Tennessee Williams was right about one thing. We are all condemned, sentenced to solitary confinement inside our own skins. But he was wrong about another thing, because it doesn't have to be a life sentence. In every Mass, we can experience Christ himself coming to dwell with us right here on this altar. And the more we see that, the more we experience that. When we ourselves receive his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist inside ourselves, and we can say with that Catholic mystic, The deepest part of me is another. And that is truly what the incarnation of Jesus Christ offers us.